chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and now the preaching. I've been asked to uh, introduce myself to you uh, uh, because we have so many new people here. Uh, my name is Keith Maddy, and, 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 and I'm the pastor for missions and uh, communications. I in, enjoy a tremendous privilege of being one of your pastors in love with Heritage Baptist Church uh, for such a long, long time, but uh, I am also the one uh, uh, that is sent to other countries. and and is connected with indigenous pastors in uh, several nations. And, and it's nothing but privilege. I could never have dreamed of any of these things, uh, but they have come to me, and I'm so grateful. Um, what I want to do this morning, then, is, um, is be of an encouragement to you uh, to prayer. That's all I want to do. I, I want to charge you up. I want you to get excited about prayer. I, I want you to see, this is the burden of my heart, uh, to see the, the great potential that, that you have as, as a child of God uh, uh, to pray. Most of the time, when we think about powerful things in, in this world, we think of natural things like tornadoes and, and tsunamis and earthquakes and volcanic eruptions and floods and hurricanes and things like that. If we don't think about those things... We think about politics, we think about world powers, we think about arsenals, we think about weaponry, we think about defense systems. That's what we think of. And, and in all of those cases, at least in, in a dominant way, if not exclusively, uh, they are all powers, uh, they are all forces for destruction, for loss, for hurt, for suffering. Uh, 
But there is another power that is operative in this world that is supernatural, and it trumps all of these other powers that we have mentioned. And it's because what C.H. Spurgeon says is absolutely true. Prayer moves the arm that moves the world. That's what prayer does. Prayer lays hold of an omnipotent, wise God who can do whatever he wants. And he has made this arrangement with his people that they should pray. And based on their prayers, he will move his arm. He will open his hand. He will make a way. He will bless this earth. So when you look at James chapter 5 then, and you see the context then, uh, the context in, in which what I really want to bring to you comes. It, it comes in the midst of suffering. It comes in cheerfulness. It comes in suffering. It comes in sickness. It, it concerns prayer uh, by calling on others. In verse 14, you can call upon the elders of the church and they will anoint you with oil and they will pray over you. It comes with other members of, of the church. Your brothers and sisters, in verse 16, we're told to pray for one another, uh, to confess our sins to one another, and to pray for one another. It's about powerful prayer that results in healing, even, even in miraculous healing. And uh, uh, quite frankly... And transparently, I have to tell you that, that we are witnesses of this. We, your pastors, at least the pastors at that time, have done these very things, and we have seen supernatural healing. When Tammy Bozarth had a skin disease, uh, uh, and her husband is a pharmacist, and it could not be cured. We prayed in one of these rooms and we put our hands on her and we anointed her with oil. She was healed. When Eddie Goodwin had this neurological problem where he was temporarily uh, paralyzed, we prayed for him and he was healed. When Dr. Mike and Pastor Jonathan went to India with a, on a medical mission with limited supplies and diagnostic stuff. You can talk to them about it. But through prayer, a deaf woman re received her hearing. And through prayer, a man that was carried on a mat who had been lame all of his life was healed. The great physician still lives. He is not restricted. All that it has changed is that he's not doing it through a particular person, but he's still doing it through prayer. He's healing people. And there are testimonies in this room. There has been breast cancer. 
There have been other diseases. Our pastor Ted had pancreatitis, an inflamed, incurable pancreas. God reached down through the prayers of his people at the Southeastern Bible Conference and people around his bed and his wife and his son and his daughter and his fellow pastor. He's sitting right here. He's been healed by God. And you have your testimonies. I, I, I can't know all the healings uh, that have come, but none of them have come apart from God. And most of them, if not all of them, have come uh, through prayer. Martin Luther says prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of God's willingness. Isn't that right? Isn't he favorably disposed uh, to the ones that he has sent his son to die for? Won't he freely give us all things if he's already given the very best that could ever be imagined? He has given us his son. Well, in James 5.16b, the second part of, of uh, verse 16, we have these translations uh, which are all very respectable and, and accepted. The ESV Bible, as uh, uh, Brother Devo read to us, of uh, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Uh, the, Holman's, uh, 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 the Holman Christian Standard Bible says the urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Uh, the King James says, uh, the classic translation, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Uh, the New King James says exactly the same thing, except it says it avails much instead of availeth. Nobody talks like that now. The New American Standard says, uh, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. I feel the impact of it. Uh, uh, the New International Version says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and is effective. The exegetical commentary uh, that I borrowed from Pastor Jonathan, he gives me liberty to do that. I'll put, exact, I'll put it right back where I got it, I promise you. A beautiful translation from the Greek. In many ways, a prayer of a righteous person is strong when it is exercised. So from this text, uh, 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 verse 16 uh, to verse 18, here's our simple outline that comes right out of the text. That there is a kind of person uh, who is praying, a righteous person. There is a kind of prayer, urgent, fervent, exercised, worked at. Uh, number three, there is a kind of result that comes. It's powerful. It's much. It's strong. And there is a kind of real-life person who illustrates and demonstrates of the power of prayer. His name is Elijah. Well, first then, a kind of person. It is a righteous person. And this is the key dividing line that separates the two great systems of this world. The majority system says what righteousness is, is something you do. 
It's something that you must do. It's a list. It's a scorecard. It's things that you must participate in. It's places that you must be. It's activities on the part of man. That's the one system. The other system, the minority system, the biblical system is, it's not what we do. It's what somebody else has already done. That's our righteousness. Our righteousness comes from the one that we've just sung about. It comes from Jesus. It comes from his perfect work. It comes from what he has done. Because we know, according according to Romans 3.20, that by the works of the law, lay it down, carve it in stone. By the works of the law, no human being will be made just, will be justified, will be made righteous in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The majority system fails because not one, not one person in that system who's believing that they can save themselves by what they do by what they read, by who they are, by what they participate in, not one of them, if they're counting on something else other than the righteousness of God that is given to us in Christ Jesus, it will fail. They, they will not be justified. They will not be counted righteous. They will not be constituted righteous. Uh, Romans 3.21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe. That's the righteous person. It's the believing person. Tim Keller is right when he compares... The two great blessings that all of us have if we are Christians. To be pardoned, to be forgiven is a wonderful, wonderful thing. To be pardoned is to have the chains taken off of your wrists. To be pardoned is is to have the cell door open. To be pardoned is to stand before the judge of all the earth and and he can say to you, you may go. You are free. You can go. But justification, being declared and constituted righteous, Tim Keller says is infinitely better, as wonderful as pardon is. But what justification says... What righteousness says, pardon says, you may go. Righteousness, justification says, you may come. You may come. It is just like the prodigal son. It is just like the father who saw him a way off. He saw him from afar. And he pardoned him. And he ran to him. And he kissed him. And he embraced him. And what did he do? 
the son that had just come from the pigsty, the son who was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one was giving him anything, the, the, the son who came from a great distance, stinking, smelling son, what did he say? Bring the robe, put a ring on his finger, for this is my son. He can come. We're going to have a party. Kill the fatted calf. Prepare the feast because my son was dead. Now he's alive. That robe is the righteousness that says, come. The pardon says, you may go. You're free. Hallelujah. That's fantastic. But the righteous, justified person, your ears here, come. You can come. You can be in my family. You can be my son. You can be my daughter. You can receive the greatest blessing that there is on the face of the earth. In, in all the universe, you can become a child of God. How do you get that? What's the passage say? It's just, it's, it's him. It's her. It's that boy. It's that girl that believes that trust in the work of Jesus Christ, that trust in his person, that embraces Christ and receives his righteousness and receives that pardon for sin, that payment for sin. That's all, that's all it is. It's all about what somebody else has done. It's what Christ has done. And that's the righteous person. That's the person who, 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 who doesn't only have to go because he's free, but it's the person who can come. Uh, uh, secondly, we observe a kind of prayer. According to these multiple texts, it is an urgent prayer. It is a fervent prayer. It is an exercised prayer. It is a prayer that you work at. I want to show you that all of these things are within your reach. All of these things you have ex even already experienced if you are a Christian. You are righteous by the, by, uh, by the imputed uh, righteousness of Christ, that righteousness which was laid to your account. You have an imparted righteousness that comes out of the imputed one. Uh, the one that's laid to your account motivates you to pursue righteousness. And you know something of urgency, something of fervency, out of necessity, where you have a real felt need, a desire, a hope, a purpose, and you've gone to God with it. It can be a shout. It can be a whisper. It can be with no audible sound whatsoever. It could be like Hannah, who just moved her lips, prayed in her heart. It may come with a broken heart. It may come with tears. It doesn't have to, but it might. And wherever it does, it should. An urgent, fervent, exercised, worked-at prayer might be like the prayer of Moses that Pastor Ted preached on not long ago, where there are arguments given. Not an argument with God, but reasons given. You've got reasons why you want something. You've thought about it enough, and you've got a purpose, and you really, really want it. So, what Moses did, he reminded God 
when God said, leave me alone. I'll destroy this people and I'll raise up a better one for you. What a temptation. God, just do it. I'd rather have a, I'd rather have a better people. Let's start all over again. That's not Moses. Moses is zealous for the glory of God. He says to God, look what you've done. Look at your history with them. Look how you've brought them out of Egypt with a strong and outstretched arm. You can't destroy them. What will the Egyptians say? They will say that you brought them out here to destroy them. You weren't strong enough to give them the promised land, so you killed them in the wilderness. What about your promises, God? The promises uh, uh, that you made to Abraham and Isaac and, <laughs> and Jacob, that, that, that they would have the land and that they'd be greatly multiplied. God, you, you can't do this. And what did God do? You know what he did. He relented. The fervent, effectual prayer, the argumentative prayer, uh, uh, the prayer with reason, with urgency, with a broken heart, with a love for God's glory. He succeeded with God. This kind of praying uh, can take place immediately. It can take place at any time. At midnight. In the middle of the night when you wake up. When the sun's just coming up at dawn. In the middle of the day, when you're driving your car, when you're handling young children, your own children, at the workplace, on your way home, you, you can pray. For, you know what I'm talking about. You know when God has put a burden on your heart and you cry out to God. If you don't know what that is, you've got to find out what it is. And one of the ways you can find out what it is is when you pray with other people. When you pray in community and you're moved by the other person's prayer, that brother, that sister pouring out her heart, pouring out his heart to God, you learn how to pray sometimes, not exclusively, but surely in, in, in praying in community, in praying at a prayer meeting, you learn that. You remember Hannah? I mentioned her. I, 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 I just love her. I named my daughter. We named our daughter after her. She was deeply hurt with many tears. Eli falsely accused her of being drunk. When he was a good man, but, 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 but he was a passive man in dealing with his own sons. But she, out of her broken heart, she says, was pouring out her heart to God. Out of the deep anguish and resentment, her sister Panina, a constant nagging, accusatory, diminishing other wife. He shouldn't have, he shouldn't have had two wives and leads to nothing but trouble. One is enough. I don't mean it like that. One is enough. That's all I'm saying. But the Lord paid attention to her. And you may not know this, or you may have forgotten this, but in 1 Samuel 3.21, he didn't just give her Samuel. He gave her three more sons and two daughters because the Lord paid attention to Hannah's need.
she got it. Righteousness with fervency, urgency, working at it is powerful. That's what the text says. If you have righteousness and you have an urgency and a fervency, all these things come from God. If you are burdened for something, you can go to God with it and you can have real power. Because you're not trying to force his hand open. You're not trying to pry it out of his hand. His hands are wide open to you. You're like the little child that grabs the pant leg of his daddy or of his mommy, her skirt, and really wants something. He's got to go to the bathroom, whatever it is. It's urgent. It's persistent. It's repetitive. And you give it. You give it because he's your son. When my son calls me, if I can answer that phone, I'll do it. I've been doing it ever since he, he was able to call me. He would grab Pastor Ted's phone when he was a little boy in here, and it would irritate me. I, I, I was working at Texas Gas, and he wants to call his dad. And, and I told PT, why does he bother me like that? Why is he? And PT would say to me, Keith, Keith. He's the only boy in, 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 in this place that wants to call his dad. I'll never forget you said that. And when I can't answer the phone, I've, I've got these automatic texts set up. You know, can I call you later? I'm in a meeting. God is way more a better dad than I could ever hope to be. Do you know what I'm talking about? The repetitive prayer, the prayer that you really want... You will never give up, parents. You will never give up, my brother. You'll never give up praying for your children. Betty May has never given up praying for her son, Harry, who's in his late 60s now. We've got to have the salvation of our kids. If anything will make you urgent and fervent and work at it and exercise in it is if you have lost children and you'll pray for other people. You'll pray for their lost kids. I could mention their names. I won't do that. But that's the urgent prayer that you want God to answer out of a righteous heart that you have for His glory. There's no greater work on earth than the conversion of a sinner. There's no greater glory to God than to have more and more worshipers. We can always plead that. We can always ask for that. And we'll ask it till we have no breath left in us. That's how bad we want it. We're never going to give up. Never going to give up. Hannah Moore, uh, an historical British poet, playwright, and a, a philanthropist friend of William Wilberforce, said that um, prayer is not eloquence, but it is earnestness. Not the definition of helplessness, but the feeling of it. Not figures of speech, but earnestness of soul. We got to get that. We have had that. We've had it more at other times than at the present time. We hope to have more of it in the future and at the present time. Well, notice in the, in the uh, uh, fourth place then, an, 
an illustration of it. Let me see how much time I have. Just want to get this. I want to give you the best I can. Ah, good shape. Who does James go for? He could have chosen any number of Old Testament characters. He goes for Elijah. What's the first thing that he says about Elijah? He says he has has the same nature as we do. Just look at it. It says in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I want you to know that. He was not an angel. He was not a superior being. He was not an extraordinary man unlike any other man. Jane wants, you to, wants us to know. He wants you ladies to know it. He wants you men and boys and girls to know it. That he was like we were. He was like we are, is what I meant to say. He had the same infirmities and weaknesses, susceptibilities, difficulties, besetting sins. If he could confess to you, he he would say that he struggles with pride too. And he has trouble with doubts and with covetousness and impatience and in unbelief. I don't want to take him down. I just want you to know that he was an ordinary man. He was a special prophet, yes, but only by God's gifting him to be that. But he was just like us. That's what the text means. He had like passions, like propensities. He was an ordinary person just like you are, just like I am. And yet, uh, when you look at him, he received food uh, from ravens uh, during a famine and drank from a special stream. He was sent. This little bit of missions here, I'll just squeeze it in, okay? He was sent to a widow of Zarephath, a Gentile woman. Like Jesus said, there were many widows in Israel. But Elijah, the prophet, was sent to none other than a widow of Zarephath. There were many lepers in Israel. Who was the prophet sent to? Naaman, the Syrian, a Gentile. Jesus was showing them that the gospel was for the nations. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to throw him off a cliff. They knew what he was saying. He passed through their midst. Well, that's where Elijah was sent and, 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 and he tested her faith and there was a jug of oil and there was a jar of flour that never ran out until the famine ended. He was also able to raise the son of the owner of the house by crying out to the Lord and stretching himself on the boy and calling for the impossible. Let the boy's life return to him. 
And the boy's life returned and he picked him up and presented him to his mom. And then you know all about Mont Carmel and, and, and you know the multitude of numbers of the prophets of Baal. And he called for fire to fall. And then, to our disappointment, but to our connection with him as a man, as a natural man, a man who had a nature like ours, he, he was afraid of a woman. Her name was Jezebel. And he ran for his life. And, and, and the text just uh, simply says, he became afraid, ran for his life. And he feared for his life. And God found him in all of his weakness. And, and he says, uh, I, I've been zealous for the Lord. I've been zealous for you. Everybody wants to kill me. I, I, I'm the only one. In all of his weakness, that's when he put his head between his knees. And, and that's when he prayed for the rain to come back. But the first time he prayed to stop up the rain, he asked for something huge. He asked for the rain to stop for three years and six months. God, at, at, at the answer of this ordinary man... Praying with fervency, praying for justice, praying for God to get the attention of, of his people. He shut up the sky for three years and six months. And you Google that. You Google that. What would happen to the United States if it didn't rain for three years? You will find nothing. Nothing but California and Texas where they've had droughts uh, for three months here and there, and the devastation that three months brought. Can you imagine a year going by with no rain on this continent? What would happen to the rivers and the lakes? Well, two years, three years, another half year, three and a half years. It's a good thing he's not living today. And, and, and he prayed that against us. We deserve it. But something that had never happened ever before, where the proportions were so unbelievably lopsided, Ahab's kingdom versus one man, one man who can pray fervently, a righteous man among the few, it was purely a God thing beyond all human ability. It was impossible. There was no contribution, no instrumentality, nothing that Elijah could do except ask God for it. Corey Ten Boom says, a man is powerful on his knees. The simplicity of that thought. The simplicity is one man on his knees, righteous before God, asking God, shut up the heavens, please. And see, within the heart, I like to think that within Elijah's heart was a heart of justice and mercy. That what Elijah wanted was to get the attention of Israel 
to bring them down, bring them to, he was a prophet of God, bring them to their knees, cause them uh, to return to God and, and, and pray to God and repent before God and bow before God. Do it again. Be the Israel that God wanted you to be, a testimony to the nations so all the nations would know what Jehovah, what Yahweh was like. They wouldn't do it. So he's God, pick up the rod. And then after you've disciplined us, bring the rain. Bring it back. In all of his weakness, in his running from Jezebel, his heads between his knees, all these cataclysmic things are happening. Seven times he, he sends a messenger to see if God's going to send rain. And there's a cloud. There's a cloud the size of a man's hand. And a storm is coming. God answers his prayer and he shows mercy. He shows justice, shows mercy. That's what he shows at the cross. That's the cross. That's where justice and mercy meet. That's where there is perfect justice to make us righteous. And that's where there is perfect mercy to pardon us and forgive us and grant us eternal life. Those two things converge at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what Elijah wanted for his own people. He could not see it clearly. We live in the bright light of the gospel. And we can see this story that we could never invent, we could never author, we could never make this stuff up. That the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, should take upon himself human flesh and work out a perfect righteousness throughout his entire life and then cap the whole thing off, the epitome of it, to obey to obey his Father even to the death on a cross, even the wrath-bearing, curse-bearing, curse-becoming Savior that he was. That's what's freely offered in the gospel. That's the greatest thing that can possibly happen. Your prayers can be effectual in your earnestness and in your righteousness. You've got to pray. I ask you, answer me. Where is the God of Elijah? Who will answer it? Where is he? Where is the Lord God of Elijah right now? Where is he? Answer me. Somebody answer me. Where is he? He's right here. That's right. How can we not pray? When the God of Elijah lives, all Elijah had was exactly what we have. We've got to, we've got to pray. We've got, we got to get on board. Ah, that old song, she's got a ticket to ride. She don't care. She's got a ticket to ride. She don't care. We got a ticket to ride, and we do care. We really do care, don't we? We got to show it. We got to get on board with private prayer, with personal private prayer in your own life. We got to get on board with 
praying in our homes, praying with others, praying in our community groups. This is the God of Elijah. He's here. His hands are wide open. He's not, he's, he's not reluctant. He's willing. How much have we missed? How much have I missed? How much have I missed? Because I didn't ask. You have not because you ask not. You ask, ask with wrong motives. Me, me, me. Got to stop doing that. We got to get on board. We got to get on board with these prayer meetings that are called by others early morning, once a month. Uh, coming up real quick. We expect to see all of you. We don't want anything less. We want all of you here at 9.30 because we're going to pray. That We're, we're going to pray to the God of Elijah. We're going to pray through our intercessor, Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do. We want to transform this church. We can't do it. We need the help of God. And we need your participation. We can be blessed by God in these ways if we really want to be. We can be blessed. We've got to seek the Lord. May God help us. May God bless us. Because in many ways, prayer of a righteous person is strong when it's exercised. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you so much for what you've taught us in this book of James. We thank you so much that we have what we need in order to pray. Give us the urgency. Give us a consciousness of our relationship with you. Uh, give us an understanding of who you are, how great you are, how zealous you are for your own glory. And come, come, gather us for prayer. Around your throne, one at a time, two at a time, ten at a time, 275 at a time. God, will you do it? Do it for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.